Great. Well, welcome. Welcome here, everyone. Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. Really looking forward to this. We're going to um, continue FOF and uh, spend Wednesday nights together. I'm really looking forward to it. So as you know, we got kind of working out Generations of Grace is downstairs. The kids, four to six, are doing a study with Jody and uh, some crafts. And then seven to nine, Kevin and um, Kevin and Bonnie are doing that. And then also Karina and uh, Taylor are going to do alternating weeks. And then uh, 13 and up is in here with us. So this is great. And the, the little ones, I was going to say, there's not a lot of little Oh, i got a few little ones up here. But... Uh, I'm I'm less concerned about the little ones even than uh, I am on Sunday morning. Just so you, if you guys if that makes you feel at ease, it's okay. We're just we're here. We're having family Bible study, so it's it should be all good. Um, yeah, this is meant to be a study where you can uh, ask questions, interactive. We've kind of done this a little bit before, uh, but the goal of this class is just for us to be built up in the faith to learn sound doctrine and uh, learn the truth of God's Word and apply it to our lives. So that's that's kind of the goal of what this is. Actually, in the FOF curriculum, there's three goals, and uh, they call it the fundamentals of the faith, but they're not maybe so much what we'd call fundamentals as it's just kind of important things to know in order to kind of like do life as a church, important things to know to... Um, to serve the Lord together, important truths for every believer. It's not necessarily like the the base fundamental doctrines of the gospel or something like that. Um, but uh, the goals of the class, and, and what we're going to do tonight is just some basically some review. It's been a long time since we've got into this, and so I thought we could, we could give one night to review and uh, remind us what this is all about. So, Some of the goals of FOF is to know that you have eternal life, to have assurance of your salvation. 1 John 5, 11 to 13 talks about that, how we can know um, these things have been written. The gospel or the the epistle of 1 John was written that we might know that we have eternal life. Uh, Secondly, to be equipped for ministry. Ephesians 4 talks about how we're to be equipped for ministry by pastors and teachers that are given to us. And... uh, that's one of the goals of this class. And then just to know God more deeply. And we'll spend some time even just studying the doctrine of God. Uh, Exodus 33 there is where Moses says, Lord, show me your glory. And so we'll have some opportunity to, to look at who God is. Uh, we want to know God and be equipped to serve Him and know the way of salvation. And so that's that's kind of what we're all about here. And... Uh, I just want to remind you what we plan to cover. We've, we've already covered lessons one and two. There's 13 lessons in the FOF curriculum, and uh, they go like this. There's the Bible, the how to know the Bible. Those are the two lessons that we've already covered, and I'm going to review today. Then we're going to get into next week, God, His character and attributes. And it's going to be, it's going to be brief. We're going to try to go through this quickly. One, one day I want to come back and really dig into the attributes kind of deep, more deeper, more deeply. Uh, but uh, for next time, I, I hope that we can kind of do some of these next lessons kind of two two weeks each. So two weeks on God and His attributes, two weeks on the person of Jesus Christ, two weeks on the work of Christ, two weeks on salvation, 
uh, two weeks on the person and ministry of the Holy Spirit. And then after that, it even wants us to, to go faster and go one week for the next lesson. So one week on prayer, uh, one week on the church. Uh, I don't know if we'll be able to do that. And we might need to take some more time. But spiritual gifts, evangelism, obedience, God's will and guidance. So that's what we're going to cover in this whole course. And again, because I knew there were some people maybe even new here, I thought it'd be good to just kind of review Lesson 1 and 2, although we're going to have to skip over a lot of what we looked at there. So, class expectations, kind of what, what, we, what I expect from you, and I think what, what you can expect from me, is a FOF book. Um, you can purchase those through the church. They, were, they cost the church $13 each. Um, do you want to just put up your hand if anyone needs one? Anyone? Darren and Melissa? Okay. You know what, Lindell? Yours is right here. So, thank you, sir. It was a little. Was it? Yeah. You don't need to be embarrassed. There you go, guys. Um, there's another. This might be embarrassing. There's another book here that has no name on it, and they and you've done lesson one and two, and it's marked, but your name's not on it. Does that sound like you, Lindell? Yeah, what's the mark? <laughs> uh, I don't remember, so I don't see any marks on it, so it must have been a good one. So there's that one, and then there's this. Oh, this one. This is Will and Constance. So, okay. Um, so get a book, uh, fill in the blanks, kind of homework, memorize the verses uh, for the study, and. Um, Class participation, highly encouraged. So we, we want to get some interaction going. We want to answer your questions as we do this. And uh, bring your Bible, pen, and uh, your homework from the week before. So, pretty much covered this. You know, as you do your, your study through the workbook, if you have questions, write them down and then bring them the next week. So next week, I might as well tell you this now, next week we're going to have um, the chapter, lesson three on God and his attributes is going to be due. So if, if you could kind of work, get that done by next week, um, that'd be awesome. And, uh, and then I'll mark those and bring them back to you the week following. So I'll mark it for you. And uh, bring them back. If you want, you can rip them out of the book. Remember, they, they kind of rip out and you can put it in a one-inch binder. Or uh, if you don't want to rip your pages out, you can just leave it in the book. But make sure you write your name on the book. Uh, also, I don't know if I even mentioned this last time, but there's a John MacArthur sermon for every one of these lessons. And um, if you want, I could, I could put the links for that on our church group or something. So... Um, each of these lessons has a MacArthur sermon that goes along with it. MacArthur says this about FOF. FOF is the outgrowth of the belief that the essence of Christianity is truth. Truth about God the Father, Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Truth about man's sin and God's plan of salvation. And truth about God's revealed will for the church and our individual lives. What you believe matters, and it matters eternally. Wrong beliefs about God lead people to hell, Matthew seven twenty two and 23. Christianity is a faith anchored on the truths in the Bible, which is God's only inspired written revelation. And so FOF is all about kind of 
us interacting with the truth, getting to know the truth, getting to know what God says about himself, about the church, about salvation, and uh, seeking to apply those things to our lives. So just kind of on the introductory stuff, are there any questions so far? That's great. We don't need to have questions on the introductory stuff. <laughs> but uh, good. Well, let's, let's get into review then. Lesson one, introduction to the Bible. You know, before we get into that, let me see if I can go back here one Um, yeah, do I want to say this? You know, I guess I just want to kind of say just for us as a church that now is the time to dig into the Word and uh, grow. Um, you know, I think this is kind of a special time for our church. The first couple years, I don't know if you, if you guys think about it this way, but I, I think about it this way anyways. The first couple years uh, of being here was a lot of getting to know people. Um, and a lot of administration, planting a church just takes a lot of a lot of little things that have to get figured out. How are we going to do things? We had to kind of develop our membership papers and our what we teach and just kind of all of the things that are involved in getting a church going. And so the first two years was, was really focused very much on that. Um, this last year was very focused on baptism and uh, the controversy surrounding that. And there was you know, at least for me, just lots of meetings, lots of busyness. Um, you know, there was weeks where just every night I had meetings and Saturday meetings and just kind of meetings, meetings, meetings. But almost all of it was talking to people either about baptism or about um, leaving our church or whatever, whatever was kind of going on. And, and that needed to be done. Those things were necessary. Um, but a lot of, a lot of shepherding people that, or maybe we're maybe leaving our church or um, just, you know, disagreed on the doctrine of baptism or however you want to say that. Uh, but this year, you know, I think that's mostly done now. And uh, my goal for this year, my hope for this year is just to build into you guys. Like my, that's what we came here for, to plant a church and build up God's people and equip them for the work of the ministry. And, uh, and that's what we're kind of free to do now. And so that's, that's what we're going to do. And so this is, this is kind of it. Like, especially Wednesday nights, it's going to be an opportunity for us to spend time together and, and grow together. And, uh, I think it's time for us to kind of put some of the discouragement as, away as much as we can and, uh, and just dig in and, and move on as a church and, uh, and grow in the Lord together. So, um, you know, of course, Anyone that needs shepherding, we're going to take care of. And, and even in this last year, there was counseling and stuff. There's always stuff going on behind the scenes that, that you guys don't all know about. Um, but, but yeah, now there's a, there's a lot more freedom to kind of do what we're here to do. And so looking forward to that. Um, another thing I wanted to say as far as kind of introductory things is if you miss a lesson, as you can kind of see here, we're recording these and uh, we're going to 
upload them shortly after, but uh, and hopefully that all works, but we won't be able to live stream them. So we're not going to live stream. It's just going to be uh, available maybe a week or two after if you want to watch them that way if you miss one. So um, we began these lessons with the premise that the God of the Bible is a God who can be known. We can know Him. He wants to be known. And He has revealed Himself to mankind. And He's revealed Himself to us in, in two ways. And so the first way that God has revealed Himself to us is in what we call a general revelation. General revelation. Let's, let's talk about that, uh, that term. Revelation is when something is uncovered, making something known. Uh, something that was once seen is revealed. That was, which was unknown becomes known. And so that's the idea of, of, of revelation. General is just kind of something that's not specific, not limited to a specific thing. And so something that's general is everywhere or widespread or just kind of broadly available. And so when we're talking about general revelation, we're talking about some knowledge of God that's, that's generally available to everyone, but it's also general knowledge. It's not specific knowledge about God. We can't know everything about Him, but, but just from creation, we can see that God exists. We can see that He is powerful. We can see that He is wise. There's a lot of things that we can see when we look at the creation. And so general revelation is the disclosure of God in nature and the constitution of man, whereby all people gain an introductory knowledge of God. And so there's this general knowledge of God that's generally available from creation, from nature, but also the constitution of man. What do you think we mean when we say the constitution of man? Anybody remember that? What is there specific about man that would reveal God to us? Okay, no, good. Yeah, I'd say good try. Thanks yeah. for, thanks for um, speaking out about that. So the, the thing that we're, we're really thinking about there is the conscience, right? Because... because We've been, we've been made to know between right and wrong. Now, we can get those things wrong sometimes, but when we do things that are wrong, we, just, we know that intrinsically, and that's because we are made by God with a conscience. We were made by a moral creator. And so, th- that's general revelation. Now, general revelation, what we saw about it is that it, it makes us so that we're without excuse for our sin, but it's not effective to bring man to salvation. You know, we can't look at the creation and see that there's a Savior named Jesus Christ. You just, you're not going to get that from creation. We need more information. But general revelation is enough to see that we have this great God who made the world, and it's enough to, to move us to worship Him. It's enough for us to see that, that He made this world. And, and that He is worthy of honor and glory. But because of our sin, especially, we need something more in order to come to know God in a saving way. 
Uh, we, need, we need more to know God fully, or to know Him, and of course we'll never know God fully, but to, to know Him truly, we need more information about Him. And that's where this other way that God has revealed Himself to us comes in, and this is what we call special revelation. special revelation is God's personal disclosure of himself to us through the living and written word so that we might come to know him in salvation and glorify him through our lives so special revelation God discloses himself through the living word that's the Lord Jesus Christ and through the written word that's the Bible And so that's what we're talking about when we talk about special revelation. And special revelation teaches us to to come to know Him in a a truer, fuller way than general revelation can. It also shows us the way of salvation and the way that we can honor God with our lives. These are things we wouldn't be able to find out from general revelation. Here's what our um, What We Teach statement says about special revelation. It says, we teach that the Bible is God's written revelation to man, and thus the 66 books of the Bible given to us by the Holy Spirit constitute the plenary, which means inspired equally in all the parts. Plenary is kind of like it's everywhere. The plenary Word of God. We teach that the Word of God is an objective, propositional revelation, verbally inspired in every word, absolutely inerrant in the original documents, infallible, and God-breathed. And so that's what we are talking about when we talk about the Word of God. Now, um, let's see here. So here's some verses that kind of show us this special revelation. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, long ago... At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. And so we see here that that what, what we're talking about here is that God spoke, I better do this one here, God spoke to our fathers. And He spoke to them, how did He do it? He spoke to them by the prophets. And what did the prophets do? They wrote down Scripture in the books of the Bible. But now there's something new happening, the author of Hebrews says. In these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. And His Son is the one who more fully and ultimately reveals God to us. And so, um, that's just we're just kind of looking at this idea of special revelation. What is it? Um, here's our verses for, uh, well, verse 16 is our memory verse. But uh, 2 Timothy 3, 14-17, But as for you, Paul talking to Timothy here, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So we see that, that Timothy's kind of commended to these sacred writings, and these sacred writings are the Scripture, and it's the Scripture 
which is able to make him wise for salvation, which is through faith in Christ. And then Paul goes on to talk about these sacred writings, and he says that all Scripture, all of it, has been breathed out by God. And that's a really a key word that we looked at in quite a bit of detail. Breathed out by God. It's, it's God, again, speaking His Word, and that this Scripture that's breathed out by God, it's, it's profitable, and it does these four things. It, it's for teaching, it's profitable for reproof, it's profitable for correction, and it's profitable for training in righteousness. And the purpose of all that is that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. And so Scripture is that thing that equips us and, and trains us to do the good things in this world that glorify God. And so we need Scripture very, very much. Now, let's do our memory verse. Do you guys remember our memory verse? Matthew, or sorry, Matthew. 2 Timothy 3.16, which we just read. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for uh, teaching, uh, teaching, correction, reproof, training in righteousness. And I think that's, where, that's all we had to do, right? So all Scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And I always get the order of those mixed up. And Alan's got some other version there for doctrine, right? But that's a... Is that the King James? For teaching. So, you know, today I was looking at this in the... And I, and I went, oh, this will help. In the Greek text, it's in alphabetical order, these three words, these four words here, teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, but that doesn't really help anyone. And then it just gets me all confused when I look at it here. So um, anyways, uh, teaching, reproof, correction, and training, and for training in righteousness. So a very, very important verse. And, and again, the, the real key thing here is that Scripture has been breathed out by God. It's His breath. It's His product. Ultimately, it comes from Him. So we talked a ton in Lesson 1, right? This is Lesson 1, Introduction to the Bible. We talked a ton about inspiration and inerrancy, and we talked about you know, how we got the Scripture, how the Bible came to be. Um, we, talk about, we talked about inspiration, which is, a lot of versions translate this inspiration. All Scripture is inspired by God would be the New American Standard, I, I believe. Um, but inspiration is that, that process where God spoke. And when He spoke, He spoke through the prophets. He spoke through Moses or Paul or whoever He spoke through, whoever writ, wrote Scripture. And, and He spoke through them without destroying their personalities. And so you can see that Moses has his style, and Luke has his style, and the author of Hebrews is different yet, and, and they all have their own vocabulary and their own ways of, of communicating. Um, but God ultimately is the one who spoke through them, and uh, he kept their personalities, he kept their styles, but ultimately it's his word. And we even talked about that a little bit, even this last Sunday, that um, the way to understand the Scripture is that we need to get back kind of through the mind of the human author who, who wrote according to his personality and style 
And when we understand what the human author meant by Scripture, we understand what the divine author meant by Scripture. But ultimately, what Matthew wrote, or what Paul wrote, or what Timothy wrote, um, well, Timothy didn't write anything, but wh- whatever these guys wrote in the 66 books, those are ultimately the Word of God. Another really important verse on this is 2 Peter 1, 19-21, where Peter tells us that we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. So this prophetic word, Peter says, we need to pay attention to this. We do well if we pay attention to it. It's like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. And then he says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is the the most detailed passage on the process of inspiration. What, What happened when God breathed through these men? Well, they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And they spoke from God. This is, it's again, it's most ultimately the Word of God. And so, um, this is not this prophecy of Scripture is this process where the Holy Spirit carried this human person along so that they wrote the words of God and that what they wrote was breathed out by God. And all of this that we're kind of looking at here and, and reviewing, this is really the, the most critical thing for us to understand is, is Scripture itself. Because Scripture is... God's revelation to us. And God is showing us in the Scripture who He is, and He shows us who we are and how to be saved and how to worship Him and how to live. And so everything about our life needs to be based on Scripture. The Creator, God, is revealing Himself to the creature. And He's he's showing us who He is And He's teaching us His ways and He's teaching us and reproving us and correcting us and training us in righteousness and all all of these things. Um, And He he does so through His Word. (coughs) Excuse me. I thought I would be all better today. I'm counting down. I've I've got about 80 days left on this 100-day cough or whatever. So if that's what I've got, I'm not sure. But... Anyhow, um, so this is just really, really fundamental. If, if, if we're trying to get like on the base of, of our whole Christian life, it's understanding the doctrine of Scripture. So, so important that we, that we see the Word of God as the Word of God, as God speaking to us, as God revealing Himself to us. And the Word of God is, is truth. And so Jesus can say, sanctify them in, in the truth. Your word is truth. And so the, the word of God is true. Jesus talking to the scribes and Pharisees in Matthew 22 answers and says, you are wrong. And why are they wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. And so the reason for their error was, again, because they didn't know They didn't know the Scripture. They didn't know the Word of God. Psalm 19, verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, 
You know, that word is typically just reserved for God Himself. But the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. And, and you might remember that we spent some time in, Matt, in, in Psalm 19. And uh, that whole psalm, the first half of that psalm talked about general revelation. The second half of that psalm talks about special revelation. And uh, one of the things it says about Scripture is that it is perfect. Psalm 119, 160, The sum of your word is truth. Every one of your righteous rules endures forever. And so the sum of God's word, if we took, all, if we took God's word and, and put it all together and added it up, it equals truth. So the word of God is true. And of course, we wouldn't expect anything different, right? God is perfect. And so what comes from him is going to have the same characteristics as he does. Right? I'm uh, a flawed, flawed human being, and, and things that, that I do are going to be flawed, but things that, that God does are going to be perfect. And so, um, because God is true, because God is perfect, His Word is true and perfect. Again, David says, And now, O Lord God, You are God, and Your words are true, and You have promised this good thing to Your servant. But again, the, the Word of God is true. Psalm 18, verse 30, This is God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in Him. And Psalm 12, verse 6, The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. And so the word of God is pure and true and, uh, and precious. And then we, we come into to Hebrews 6 here, and, um, and what we see here is that God, one of the things we see here is that it is impossible for God to lie. And this has bearing on the Word of God. God's Word is true because it's actually impossible for God to lie or mislead people. And so Hebrews six seventeen and 18, So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of promise the unchangeable character of His purpose, He guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. So God's going to make some promise to these heirs, and He wants to show them that what He's telling them is going to be true, and that they can kind of set their life on, on these truths. And so He gives them two things. Two unchangeable things. One is, it's impossible for God to lie. And the other unchangeable thing is, is this oath. That he, he guaranteed it with an oath. And so, um, anyhow, what, what we really want to grab here is that um, it's impossible for God to lie. And in a sense, we could really think of all Scripture as an oath to us. It's a, it's a covenant. There's the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And uh, these, are, these are promises from God. And He's going to accomplish His Word. Uh, another place where we see that it's impossible for God to lie is uh, right here in Titus 1 and 2. Uh, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. So, Paul is 
a servant of God and an apostle of Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth. And this knowledge of the truth accords with godliness. And so again, the more we know God's truth, the more we're going to grow in godliness and holiness in our lives. But then also Paul is a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ in the hope of eternal life. And so Paul's apostleship, Paul's service is hopefully going to bring eternal life to the people that he preaches the gospel to. And then he says this, which God who never lies promised before the ages began. What did God promise before the ages began? Eternal life. And so um, what we really wanted to see right here, though, is this God never, God never lies. And so because God knows all things, and because God is a God who never lies, and He knows all the future and history and everything that's going to happen, um, we can trust His Word because we know that it, it has to be true and God will never uh, lie to us. Now, it's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives in order to convince us that the Scriptures are the Word of God. And we, we spent some time talking about that as well last time. That It's got to be the work of the Spirit in, in saving us that, that convinces us that we can trust the Bible. And so if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit has, has done that work in you so that, so that you know and trust the Word of God. But that's the Holy Spirit's work to convince us of the Word. And Jesus put it this way in John 10, 27, 28. He said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And so Jesus says his sheep know his voice, and where is that voice? That's in Scripture, in the Word of God. Just earlier in that passage, he had said that he has other sheep that aren't of this fold. And, and who are those sheep? Those are us, the Gentiles that are, are kind of in the future ages. And uh, Jesus is confident that when the word of God goes forth, the, the people that he's chosen, what he calls his sheep, they're going to hear his voice. He knows them and they're going to know him and they're going to follow him. And the reason that, that, that all of this works is because Jesus himself gives us eternal life. And so there's this connection between hearing the voice of the Lord Jesus and this reception of eternal life. And so the the whole and that's really the work of the Holy Spirit in our regeneration. When we're born again, there's a work of God the Holy Spirit in our lives that 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 comes through the word, right? We hear the preaching of the gospel and we come to believe in Christ for eternal life, and, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit regenerating us, and we respond to the Word of God and uh, trust in Jesus Christ for this eternal life. Now, my notes say one, two, three, four.
So yeah, um, again, just to kind of another quick little summary here. Scripture is inspired. Scripture is God-breathed. Because it's ultimately God's Word, it's inerrant. That is, it, it's incapable of error. There's no errors in God's Word. There's difficulties in interpretation that we have to kind of come and, and understand, but there's no errors in the Word of God. It's also what we call infallible, which means it's incapable of leading us astray. God doesn't deceive us. God, when He speaks to us, He speaks clearly. His Word is clear. Even in the difficult things, it's, it's clear. Just like, uh, I think I probably used this illustration that, you know, you can have a, um, an algebra textbook that's kind of complex, but it's clear. It's, it's written clearly. It's just not easy to understand. And that's, that's sometimes the way that God's Word is. But in the, the gospel and the basic truths of the Christian life, I think you'll find that it, that it is clear. Um, so, um, the Word of God is infallible. It doesn't lead us astray. Again, it's a revelation. God is trying to communicate to us. And uh, God can accomplish His purposes that way. And because of all of those things, it's also authoritative. right? If, if it's the voice of God then Scripture, when Scripture speaks, God speaks. And so to disobey Scripture is to disobey God. Or to disbelieve Scripture is to disbelieve God. And that's really, really important that we kind of understand those things as we get into the rest of this. So now is the point where I was supposed to ask if there are any questions. With the authority of Scripture, um, but using the Bible to determine that, mm-hmm. are you that or uh, speak against that? That's not circular reason. Or that that circular reason. Yeah, um, I think we did talk about that. Yeah. I just—it's funny. I I. Um, just today I read a little section out of um, William Nix and Norm Geisler's book, A General Introduction to the Bible. And they had three things there right at the beginning. And, and the first one was that um, we can use the Bible to prove the Bible because, you know, just like in court, you can, you can be a witness for yourself, right? So, so, he, he, that was one of the things they said. You can you can be a witness for yourself, and so, um, but the other two I'm not going to be able to grab. You know, I th- I think, you know, yeah. So so we say, hey, go. The Bible claims it's true, and because the Bible claims it's true, therefore we believe it's true. But there's there's more happening there because 
Um, and, and that's where that work of the Holy Spirit comes in because there's something outside of us that's also working, opening our eyes and changing our lives. Um, I don't know that I can do much better than that right now for you, Alan. Um, but it's not, it's not what they call a viciously circular thing because there's outside things happening there. But I think it makes sense if, if, if the Bible is the Word of God, then it would have to function as, um, as its own witness. And, and the reason for that is when, whenever you have something that's called an ultimate authority, you can't go somewhere else. So if, if, I, if, if God is the ultimate authority and He's given me the Bible, and then I want to prove that, the, the highest place I can go to is God. So if I go to archaeology or I go to some other thing like that, I'm now almost saying that's a higher authority. And so ultimate authorities are always kind of the, the end of the, of the line. Uh, but again, that's a great question that I just probably can't give you. That was the thought I was thinking about. Yeah, okay. Yeah. You can't really go higher than that. So God has borne witness. And then, like, it just logically all it fits together, right? Like, you look at the Word of God and you think, this is unlike any other writing that there is. And, and so it, it bears the characteristics that it would have if somebody as great as God had um, written the Scriptures. You know, and, and again, we, we did go into all of that, you know, and we talked about how there's 40 different authors over 1,500 years and there's no contradictions and, and some of those things. Um, and so we see the, the greatness of Scripture that way. Um, any other questions? Good question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, God spoke before, told things that are going to happen, happens exactly like it happened, and who can, only God can do that, right? So, um, good. It's been a lot of years since I listened to that John MacArthur message that, that's, and they're in your book, right? It, it actually says in your book. Um, good. Any other questions, comments? Well, let's let's keep going. So, um, yeah, just maybe ignore the screen for a minute. Scripture was written by prophets, apostles, and remember, it was written in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. And to the extent that the translations into um, whatever languages there are. Um, to the extent that those represent the original reading, those are also God's Word. And uh, Jesus and the New Testament writers, sometimes they quoted from the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And so I think that's an encouragement to us that if, if, the, if a translation was good enough for Jesus, if a translation was good enough for Paul, a translation is good enough for us. And so we have very, very good 
translations of the Greek and Aramaic and Hebrew in our English Bibles. And uh, what God is doing kind of through history now is what happened at the Tower of Babel where all the languages got confused is now getting undone as the gospel kind of goes the other way to all of the languages. And um, again, we have very many good translations to choose from, the ESV, New American Standard, Legacy Standard Bible, also the, the Holman Christian Standard or the Christian Standard Bible. Those are all good um, literal translations of um, the Old and New Testaments that, um, that, that utilize kind of the best of the Hebrew and Greek manuscripts that we have today. And uh, again, we talked about all of those things last time. But uh, this, is, this is what we covered here now. If you look on the screen, general information on the Bible. We, we talked about where, where did we get the Bible. And uh, that was the prophecy of Scripture. And we talked about, um, again, all of these things, inspiration, inerrancy, authority. We talked about when it was written and when the books were written and uh, how we know the dates from the Bible. Uh, we talked about which books belong in the Bible, which is what we call the canon of Scripture and how we know that it's the 66 books and no other. Um, we talked about how the Bible got to us and, and how it was transmitted through the Latin Vulgate and down in all the manuscripts and stuff. Um, and again, we have very, very good English Bibles today. And uh, in that transmission process, we didn't lose anything. And so what we have today, the copies that we have, we're very certain that those are um, basically the original manuscripts although we don't for sure have the original manuscript that, that maybe Paul or definitely not that Moses wrote. We, we know that, that we, we basically have what those guys wrote and that there's nothing um, missing or nothing that, that, that we have any questions about that would affect our, our faith or practice. And then we did, I don't know if you remember this, but we did an overview of the Bible and we just kind of followed the storyline of Scripture from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And uh, actually, I believe that's on this next slide. Remember, we, we saw that just kind of generally speaking, what's in the Bible is, um, is uh, in the first couple chapters, there's this good creation that God made. Then in Genesis chapter 3, there's the fall of man and sin enters into the world. And then from Genesis 3.15 all the way to the end of the Old Testament, Malachi, there's this promise of a coming seed. And remember, we, this seed is the Messiah, and he's going to be a king, and he's going to uh, be a prophet and a priest, and he's going to undo the effect of the fall. And so what happened in Genesis chapter 3 is going to be undone by this seed starting in Genesis 3.15, and there's this that, you know, these are the, what Margaret just talked about, these promises of the coming of Christ who's going to undo the effects of the fall. And, uh, and of course, Christ comes starting in Matthew and uh, provides redemption, dies for the sins of mankind. And uh, the epistles, um, Acts and then the epistles kind of speak about what Christ accomplished by his death. And so death came into the world through the fall of man and then Jesus died to undo death. And then at the end of the book of Revelation, there's the restoration, and we see that, that what was went wrong here, God fixes through His Son, Jesus Christ. And so that's kind of the, the broad story 
of Scripture and all that's happening there. And, and we, we kind of talked about that in a little bit more detail. Lesson two then, how to know the Bible. Um, we talked about two things there. Uh, really, how or why, why we should know the Bible. And we talked about how to know the Bible. Uh, how to know the Bible. So, um, let's talk about that again. How, why should we know the Bible? And FOF curriculum gives us five reasons. Five reasons why we should know God's Word. Um, and, and they all kind of revolve around these verses here. Just give me one second again. Second Timothy 2.15, this is our memory verse for this, uh, this lesson too. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. And so, I, you know, I guess if we're thinking about the reason, um, there's a right way to handle the Word of God, and there's a wrong way to handle the Word of God. And we're morally responsible to handle the Word of God rightly. If we don't handle it rightly, the Apostle says we would be ashamed. There'd be a shameful thing to do that. And so we want to be, one, approved by God. We want to be a worker that, that glorifies Him. And so we need to be like what Paul told Timothy. We need to rightly handle the word of truth. Another reason to know the Bible, why should we know this book? Uh, Peter says, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. And right there he's talking about the word of God. And he gives us the reason why should we long for it like an infant. The infants want that milk. You know, they cry. They, They just have this strong desire to be fed with the Word, and in the same way, Peter says, we should long for it, that by it you may grow up in, into salvation. So the Word of God is the thing that grows us in our salvation. <coughs> uh, Psalm 119.11, another reason to know the Bible I have stored up your word in my heart, says the psalmist, that I might not sin against you. And so the word of God in our hearts will keep us from sin. Psalm 119.38 Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. And I believe I've got it in the Legacy Standard Bible there. Cause your word to be established for your slave as that which produces fear for you. And so the, the Word of God produces the fear of God in us. And so the Word of God teaches us who God is, and the fear of God is, is connected to loving Him and worshiping Him and honoring Him with our lives. And so this, this Word, that, that we get, as we get to know it, it's going to help us to know God, and it's going to produce in us the fear of God, which in Scripture is a good thing. Another reason to know the Word of God, Psalm 119.105, Your Word is a lamp for my feet and a light to my path. And so the Word of God kind of lights up the way for us. It shows us the way that we should go and, and the way that we should live. And so we need to know it. Otherwise, what are we? We're, we're walking in the dark. 
right? And uh, you know what happens if you walk in the dark, you're, you're prone to stub your toe or get hurt or, or go in a, an unsafe direction. Well, the Word of God lights our way. So again, why know the Bible? So that we might be approved by God and rightly handle the Word of Truth, 2 Timothy 2.15. We should know the Bible to grow in our salvation. We should know the Bible to keep us from sin. We should know the Bible because it produces reverence for and fear of God in our lives. It's a light to our path. Other reasons to know the Bible kind of beyond the FOF curriculum, what we saw in 2 Timothy 3.16, it's sufficient to equip us for every good work. And so anything good that God would have us do to honor Him, the, the Scripture can teach us to do that and equip us for that. And so the Word of God is going to teach us and reprove us and correct us and train us in righteousness so that we can do those things. Uh, in Jude 3 and 4, uh, the author wants to um, contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And so um, he's going to do that by the Word of God. And so the, the Word of God, why should we know the Bible? So that we can defend the faith against false teaching. Uh, in Matthew chapter 4, what does Jesus use when he's tempted by the devil in the wilderness? Does anyone remember? What did Jesus do? Quoted scripture. Yeah, quoted scripture. And so if, if the Bible can help Jesus defend himself against sin and temptation, then it can help uh, defend us against sin and temptation. And actually, I remember that, I don't know if that's in this Lesson 2 study, uh, but I remember a, a John MacArthur sermon where at one point he says, you know, I used to enjoy a good old sin. Um, but now, whenever I even just think about doing a sin, about a hundred verses kind of cross through my mind with reasons why I shouldn't do it anymore. And so the Word of God has that sanctifying influence in our lives and uh, keeps us from sin. Um, according to Matthew 28, the Great Commission, one of the things where our mission in this world is to uh, make disciples of all the nations and uh, to teach them to observe everything that Jesus commanded us. And so if we're going to do the, the mission that we were created to do as a church, we need to know the Word of God. We need to know those things that He commanded us. In Acts chapter uh, 17, verses 2 and 3, um, Paul is, is there um, explaining to the Jews who Jesus is from the Scriptures. And so again, why should we know the Bible? For evangelism and discipleship. In 1 Peter 3.15, it's, it says that we should always be ready to give a defense for the hope that's in us in Christ. And so again, if we're going to be effective in evangelism and uh, discipleship, then we need to know the Word of God and again, John 17, 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And so sanctification, growing in holiness, growing in Christ-likeness, that's tied, again, to our knowledge of the Bible. So again, our, our memory verse, 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Uh, that's our memory verse for 
this time. All right, that was why we should know the Bible. Now let's just talk briefly about how to know the Bible. How to know the Bible. Um, and th- that's just right from your curriculum there. There was five things, I, I believe it was. We need to hear the Bible. We need to read it. We need to study it. We need to memorize it and meditate on it. This is the way to know the Bible. But before all that, we must be born again. To truly believe and understand the Bible, we need to be born again. Now, it's, it's true that, that God actually works through the Word in order to save us. But in order to really believe and follow Scripture, we need salvation. And Scripture is, scripture is really clear about this. Paul says to the Corinthians, we impart this, and he's talking about the gospel preaching that he does there. We impart this, this, this wisdom from God, not, or in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Then he says in verse 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So the natural person, that's the unsaved person, Paul's saying, and they don't receive, they don't accept or understand the things of the Spirit. And the things of the Spirit, again, is the gospel message. Remember, um, Paul had said that to the, the Greek it's a stumbling block, and to, or to the Jews it's a stumbling block, and to the Greeks it's folly. And so, unless we're born again, unless we are those who are spiritual, we're not going to be able to accept and, and understand the Word. Now, it doesn't mean that an unbeliever can't understand the Gospel or can't understand the hypostatic union or something like that. It's just that, that they won't be able to embrace it and, and kind of welcome it unless they're born again. And so, there, there needs to be regeneration. We need to be born again in order to truly understand, believe, and follow Scripture. And again, we can see that in other verses. Jesus says, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them, to the people he's talking to, is that you are not of God. And so these Pharisees that he's talking to, they were not of God. And the reason that they, were, they didn't hear the word is because they weren't of God. Whereas on the other end of the spectrum, remember, my sheep hear my voice. That might be the next one. Yeah, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So there's this kind of receptivity to the word of God in the Christian. So that's kind of a, a prerequisite. If, if we're going to know the Bible uh, we need to be uh, believers. We need to be saved. We need to be born again. Uh, but then, beyond that, if we're going to grow in our knowledge of God's Word, we need to hear it. And so Paul says, faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the Word of Christ. And so we need to uh, hear the Word of God. Luke 12 or Luke 11:27-28 As he said these things a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed 
But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And so Jesus pronounces those blessed who hear the word of God. And and not only just hear it, but also who keep it, who do it, who obey it. And uh, Nehemiah chapter 8 is really important in in all of this. Um, In the the context there, well maybe I should just read the the scripture I have. But Nehemiah 8 Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And so Ezra is kind of on some kind of a, a platform, stage, kind of pulpit thing. And a bunch beside him stood a bunch of people with uh, hard names to pronounce. And uh, Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and he opened it. He opened it, and as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, uh, the Levites helped the people understand the law, while the people remained in their places, and they read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. (coughs) And so... What's, what's going on here is that most likely is there is some kind of a translation even happening. These are the people returning from exile. The, um, the scriptures are in the Hebrew. The people now have learned Aramaic. They, they don't, they, most of them wouldn't speak Hebrew except for maybe Ezra and some of these other Levites. And so they're, they're helping the people understand the law by translating it, by interpreting it. And, uh, and Ezra's doing this even maybe by preaching to the people. And so um, this is the, the hearing of the Bible. And, uh, you know, I would say, you know, I, I, hope, I hope anyways that, that when we... Um, when, when the Word of God is preached, and I hope from our pulpit, but, but really from anywhere... When the word of God is preached, I hope that you're you're seeing things in there that you don't maybe otherwise see. That sometimes you read it and and you just you haven't caught all of those things because there's so much depth in the word of God that that when it's taught, you kind of see what's what's there. And that's kind of this idea of hearing. It's not just it's not just you know somebody reading the word out loud, although that's profitable and good too. But even the explanation of the word of God that that you're kind of seeing what's what's there, and I, and I hope that you see that it's this is what the scriptures say. It's not just me preaching or or somebody else preaching, but you you see the the depth of what's actually there in the word, and that's that's part of this idea of hearing the scriptures. So very very important um, to hear. Also, reading the Bible, even just reading the Bible is is a blessed thing. Revelation 1.3, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. In uh, 1 Timothy 4.13, Paul tells Timothy, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. And so even in the church, there should be this public reading of Scripture. That's why we do a a chapter-long scripture reading every Sunday, so that at least at least once a, a week, at the very minimum, we have 
an opportunity to hear and to read the Word of God, even if it's just slowly. But, you know, you notice over the time, we get through, we get through books, right? And so we, uh, in this particular moment, I can't even remember the last book that, that we read, uh, but now we're reading through John, and we're going to be in chapter 3 next week, and we're kind of, we're moving along. And so um, this is something even commanded in Scripture that, that we would do as a church. Uh, but reading isn't everything. There's, there's more. You know, you can, you can read it and kind of skip over what's there. Uh, we need to go deeper and we need to study the Bible. Um, that's what the Thessalonians did. They received the Word of God with all eagerness in verse 11, examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And so they were, they were doing an examination of the Scriptures. Paul was, was preaching, but they were, they were seeing if what he said was according to uh, scripture. So they were studying the Bible. Proverbs chapter 2 says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. <laughs> and so there's this promise here that, that you got to seek for it, you got to dig for it, you got to work for it. Um, this is the, the idea of studying the Scripture. Um, but if, if we do that, if we do that hard work, then we will understand the fear of the Lord. We're going to know God and find the knowledge of God. We're going to be able to worship Him and, and grow in our love and knowledge of Him. So, studying the Bible. Uh, Psalm 19, 10, and 11, some of my favorites on this. More to be desired are they. Remember, we looked at Psalm 19 earlier. The law of the Lord is perfect. And in Psalm 19, there's those seven synonyms that talk about Scripture there. And at the end of that section, in verse 10, more to be desired are they than gold. He's talking about the words of God. Even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is, is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. And so, more valuable is the word of God than gold, than fine gold. It's, it's better than food. It's better than the best food, honey, the drippings of the honeycomb. And by, by them, there's this, it warns us from danger. It also... Um, has this promise of great reward if we keep and follow and, and obey the Word of God. There's this eternal re- reward involved. And so we need to study the Bible and understand it. And we did a, a deep dive into, maybe it wasn't a full deep dive, but we, we kind of went into hermeneutics and how to understand the Bible and, um, and talked about some things that way. Another thing is to memorize the Bible. This is how we know the Bible. Memorize it. Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. So we, we guard our way according to the word of God. And, and how do we do that as we go about our day? We, we need to memorize Scripture. Memorize Scripture. Psalm 119, verse 11. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. No, notice where the guy stored the word. It's in his heart. 
and the reason is that he might not sin against the Lord. Psalm 40, verse 8, I delight to do your will, O my God, your law is within my heart. Again, it's, it's memorized. And so, um, uh, and then do I have Joshua? So, well, Psalm 19, verse 14, same psalm as we were in earlier. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And we might ask, well, how is the meditation of our hearts going to be acceptable in the Lord's sight? Well, maybe because his word is written in our hearts, because we're, we're memorizing it, because we know it. And uh, that's the only way that we can, can really meditate on it day and night, which is the next one, meditate on the Bible. Um, meditate on the Bible, not only memorize it, but then meditate on it, think about it. Blessed is the man, Psalm 1, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. So here's someone who delights in God's word. And on his law, he meditates day and night. And again, how do you meditate in the night? Because it has to be memorized. You have to know it so that you can think about it even when your eyes are closed at night. And this one is, is blessed. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. MacArthur defines meditation. It's not some Eastern practice. Medica- meditation is prayerful reflection on Scripture with a view toward understanding and application. Give prayerful thought to God's Word with the goal of conforming your life to His will. And so that's what we're talking about, prayerful reflection on Scripture. And, and we're, we're looking to put it into practice in our lives. So this is how we know the Bible, we meditate on it. And really, if you've ever read, you know, somebody like, J.C. Ryle or one of the Puritans, and you just see the, the depth of what they get out of Scripture, it's because they, they were those who meditated. And it wasn't even long hours of doing it. They, would, they just tried to get, the Puritans I read once, they just tried to get their people to meditate on the Bible for 15 minutes a day. But, but you know, the, the greatest of them would, would do so much more than that. And, you know, one, one thing I would say, one of my favorite one of my favorite things is reading John Bunyan's book. Um, not which one is it now? It's there's two titles to it. Reese, do you know this one? It's the the one title is "A Few Sighs from Hell." Do you know that? Is there? There's another title though, right? You know that one? No, not offhand. Um, so John Bunyan has this, this book called, or this sermon, A Few Sighs from Hell. And he, he goes to Luke 16, and um, it's the rich man and Lazarus. And there's this one phrase in, in Luke 16 there um, where the rich man lifted up his eyes. Being in hell, he lifted up his eyes. And John Bunyan draws like chapters and chapters just out of this idea that in hell... He lifted up his eyes, and, and he just draws so much richness out of there. And um, it's because he meditated. It's because he thought about it. You know, he didn't just kind of read it and move on with his day. He read it, and he thought about it, and he focused on it. 
and um, and then he was able to to bless others with it as well. So meditate uh, on the Bible. This is what Joshua was commanded to do. The Lord Himself speaking to Joshua says, "Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you." Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. And again, this idea, the Lord wants Joshua to meditate day and night on his words, so that he can be Success, successful in his life and glorify God. So meditate on the Bible. Um, this is the psalmist. He's he's asking the Lord. He's he's doing this kind of prayerful thing, and he says, "Your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments." And so that's that's a prayer of meditation that we should pray when we open the Bible up. Give me understanding, Lord. Teach me your word. Show me. Show me your ways. How do I apply this? How do I live this out? And uh, that's all part of uh, meditation. Psalm 119, 125, I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. Well, that's uh, it for tonight. Next week, we're going to come back and we're going to, that's just kind of review. Hopefully it's helpful. You know, I wasn't sure who would be new and, and who would be kind of the, the people that were here for all of the, the other things. But next time we come back, we're going to talk about God. We're going to talk about his attributes. If you could have your homework done by then, that'd be great. If that's not possible, um, then that's not possible. And uh, I'll give you another week. But uh, do your best to get that done. And I'll do my best to mark it for you. Um, yeah, really looking forward to our time together and our, our study in these things. Uh, let's uh, close with prayer. Father, thank you for our time together tonight. And uh, Lord, just help us to, to know the Bible. Help us to be motivated to read it. Help us to delight in it and delight in you. Help us to know you through your word and, and help us to, to build our lives on your word. Help us to know when we read it that you are speaking to us and that it's more valuable than gold. It's more valuable than the things of the world. Um, Lord, you are precious and your word is precious. And uh, we pray that we would grow in that. And we pray that you would bless this study, that you would help us to, um, to grow through your word, that all of these things that we talked about today, that they would happen in our lives as we learn your word Through this curriculum, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.